Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ashes to ashes. Fun to funky. The Cricket Badger Ashes 2019 podcast, brought to you in association with Cricket 365, with your host James Butler, Cricket 365's Ollie Fisher, and journalist Akash Shivasubramanian. Hello everybody, welcome along to the 7th edition Seventh already of the Cricket Badger Ashes World Cup Weekly. Well, funeral music, whatever you want to have. Sad, plaintiff, wailing in the background. England have not achieved their objective. Australia at Old Trafford sealed a 2-1 series lead with one test to go. It means the Australians, they are going to be taking that little, famous little urn back to Australia with them. And deservedly so, Tim Payne has become the first Australian skipper to defend the urn on English soil in 18 years. And it would be churlish of us before we get any further through this podcast not to say congratulations, Australia. Well played. We'll get it back very, very soon. To join me on this seventh edition of the Ashes Weekly, Ollie and Akash. We'll start with you, Akash. Firstly, you must be rather pleased as our Indian, English-based, Australian supporter... You cover all bases, but supporting Australia in this series, they deserve to win. Well, I'm really pleased, not just with Australia winning the Test Series now for now, but also uh, one thing is that uh, I think Test Cricket is a real winner because all these tests that we have seen in, in the Ashes thus far have, have been closed. 
even though it doesn't uh, reflect on on your scoreboard even a 185 win didn't look that uh, convincing because it went till the end overs if if the if the english uh, tailenders could have batted two or three more overs it it would have crept in for australia so i think it was more close than anyone would have expected and i think that's good for test cricket it's also good for five day cricket as well all these people saying four day test matches akash we needed five days throughout this series and when it's been better for it you certainly need five days in england because you're more certain that one day is going to go out washed out because of rains so i think a four day test match in england would never give you results because it's going to rain and only i'm sorry mate it's not going to happen is it australia they're going to take that little learn back we've been so hopeful at times that england could win this ashes series but it's not to be because it's rather fitting that i'm looking out the window now as we're recording this and it's raining outside it feels pretty glum obviously to have gone to one down in the series thus meaning that we can't regain the ashes but also could have done with that rain a day earlier just to save us from what happened at old trafford and take it down to the final test but in truth you know like you both said australia deserved but they said deserved winners because they haven't won the series yet but they deserve to to retain the urn um they played the better cricket so far uh, over the four tests and to be honest you know although we had the hope after the the miracle at headingly that's all it really was and we did mention that it kind of papered over the cracks and those cracks reappeared at old trafford and and that's exactly why we found ourselves in the position that we're in so yeah full credit to australia i think they you know fully fully deserving to be 2-1 up at this point um, but the series isn't done it'd be nice for us to get it back to 2-2 and then we can at least say we've drawn I've warned you both that I'm on my long run today because I've got a number of issues that I want to talk about as we go through this podcast. But I think, you know, looking back at our I think two episodes ago of this pod, we were celebrating Ben Stokes's heroics at Headingley in quite a downbeat way, weren't we? We were absolutely massively excited about that last hour at Headingley. But I think we, we actually caught the mood quite nicely looking back that it did paper over the cracks. There was so much wrong with that England side. Our podcast felt a little bit downbeat when we should have been celebrating, but I think we were right in the end, Ollie. We absolutely were. I mean, we, we said that it, it, it did kind of paper over the cracks, you know, in terms of um, having to be bailed out by the lower order again and it being a kind of freak run chase and needing however many we needed with one wicket remaining and kind of a bit of an implosion uh, from the Australian side of things. I think Tim Payne, you know, for all that we say about him being the first uh, Ashes winning captain on British soil for 18 years or something, I think it is. I, you know, I think he kind of lost control of that game a little bit and all the momentum was, was swung in our favour. But if you look at the balance of play in, in the test at Headingley, uh, it, it definitely was a game that Australia will feel gutted that they didn't go on and win. And, of course, that would have been an unassailable 2-0 lead for them and they'd have had the Ashes retained one test sooner. But all that it did, really, was kind of prolong the inevitable. I mean, I said in the preview podcast for the Old Trafford test match that I was actually less optimistic about our chances of winning the Ashes off the back of the head in the test, purely because there were so many problems there that were ultimately overshadowed by one one bit of outstanding brilliance from Ben Stokes and we knew we weren't going to get that again in this test or rather it would be highly unlikely that we did um, and of course the return of Steve Smith meant that they were likely going to get back their piece of brilliance and that's exactly what ended up happening. Yeah, I guess it's one of those where 
you know, we've got, like I said, we've got one test left now to try and try and make it two two, and then we can we can take some positives hopefully from that final test going into what is a pretty important winter for us. You know, with with three different tours, but it's kind of back to the drawing board in terms of the makeup of this lineup, and it's it's felt like that throughout the series, to be honest. Uh, I've got a feeling you're going to go on a big rant at the selectors here, which I'm looking forward to, but. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of question marks over our our eleven at the moment, or our squad, and and who should be in there, and who's in, in the right place in the order. Whether we back deep enough, whether we, you know, the the players in the middle order that aren't contributing, whether our bowling unit is actually far far inferior to Australia's, and we've been able to benefit from the home conditions slightly. It's all it's all questions that perhaps we should have been asking if we'd have been a bit more cynical before the series. And it's only now that obviously we've missed out on the chance to regain the ashes that it all feels a bit like a post-mortem. Well, trust me, listeners, all of those things that Ollie has just uh, gone through there, we will get to on this podcast. And I am coming off my long run and I have got quite strong opinions on a few of those things too. But I always think it's when you when you are the beaten side, it's very easy to concentrate on those things first. And I think we should pay credit to Australia first on this show because we are sporting creatures, aren't we, in this country? And Australia deserve to take the urn back with them. As Ollie just said, they haven't won this series. They are guaranteed at least drawing it, which means they will take the urn back. And Akash, Tim Payne took over the Australian captaincy in a very, very difficult situation. It was a hospital pass, really, wasn't it? Anybody that was going to take on the Australian skipper ship when Sandpaper Gate was rumbling and all the political turmoil that was going on in Australia at the time wasn't the easiest of jobs. And I think he's really conducted himself well. He's been a very good ambassador for Australian cricket. And I actually felt pleased for him at the end of the Old Trafford Test match, seeing him celebrate... I think he's done a very, very fine job. He's not the long-term answer for Australian captaincy, but while he's had it, he has been very, very good indeed. Certainly, James, I agree with you on that point. Uh, I think uh, Tim Payne's appointment was more like the designated Survivor TV series where Kirkman became the president. So it, it was more like that. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, it's outstanding the, the amount of work that he has done, not only with, the, with his keeping but also prove that he, he's been a good uh, skipper. We've had doubts on him. We have also suggested in the past that he's just another wicketkeeper because he's not providing more to the team with his bat. But he certainly, in, in the Manchester Test, we could see that he can play good no- a, a good knock and can certainly switch his bowlers, uh, a lesson that he's le- learned from Headingley. It was interesting to see the tactics that he em- employed in the last day where he constantly shuffled his bowlers. There were four bowlers in just five overs or something in the last session of play. So he certainly learned from this lesson, which I think uh, Root did not learn, which, which, which is why England were in the situation that they are. So it is good to see that Tim Payne has redeemed himself, but he is certainly not the long-term uh, option for Australia. So probably a long-term option could be Pat Cummins. Pat Cummins it could be a really good option that we, we generally don't discuss, but I think he can be a really good option because he has the cricketing brain. It'll be Stephen Smith, though, won't it? When, once his year of exclusion from a leadership role in the Australian side is ended, it's almost written in the stars that it'll be handed back to Stephen Smith, surely, Akash? I mean, certainly it, it has to be written that it is going to be given to Steve Smith, but if not for Steve Smith, if Steve Smith denies the job saying that I don't want to be the skipper, then I think uh, Pat Cummins should be made the skipper because he is invaluable to the team, just as Smith is. Uh, so I think both of them are key to this Australian side, and I hope they can go, do good in the future too. 
I've seen a lot of people saying that Steve Smith's been the difference between the two sides, and I, I would 100% agree with that. I think if you look at the two sides on paper, there's not a huge amount between the two squads, and I think we've seen that in the, in the series so far. People that say the Australian bowlers are loads better than the England bowlers maybe slightly skewed by the fact that Stephen Smith's had such an impact on the series because if you actually go back through the test matches, Broad particularly at the top of the innings has ripped out David Warner, the other openers always failed, number three's been a problem for Australia throughout the series and if it hadn't been for Stephen Smith coming in at number four, Ollie, he, he just put up a wall, didn't he? And we can't find an answer still to getting out Steve Smith in this series. If he hadn't been playing and Broad had just continued to rip through the middle order, it would have been a different tale. And I think the Australian bowlers have had other situation where England have just regularly lost wickets to them all the way through the series. England haven't had that Stephen Smith figure to put up that side resistance and keep Australia at bay. No, we haven't. And I guess you kind of hope that that would come in the form of, of Joe Root, obviously with him being England's captain and him taking up such an important position in the in the lineup. You you were hoping that he'd kind of put up some numbers that would at least match those of Steve Smith. Uh, and that would have given us a damn sight better chance. But honestly, Smith is just, he's absolutely brilliant. You know, cast aside what's happened in the past and, you know, the hostile reception that he's received as a result, I, I just think that it's been absolutely amazing to watch him back and, and watch him instantly kind of rekindle that form of the of the Steve Smith that we that we used to know. I mean he's he's had three something like three centuries from from five innings at, a, at an average of 134, and then he comes here to Old Trafford and scores 211 and 82, and it's just like it's one of those things where you, you think that even a broken clock's right twice a day, so we're going to find a way to get him out cheaply eventually. It just hasn't happened. For whatever reason, it hasn't happened. We haven't found the answer. Um, we haven't found the weakness. We haven't found a flaw in his technique, which is which is pretty, you know, unorthodox anyway. And yeah, I think he has completely been the difference between the two sides because he's been the difference between them getting the you know, the the scores that they've got, the four nine, seven for eight that they got and obviously contributed um a lot to the to the second inning score at Old Trafford as well and, and the difference between us stuttering to sort of two hundreds and two hundred and fifties all out. We we haven't had that same resistance. We haven't had the person who was going to take on the responsibility come in, show some application, show discipline, you know, leave well outside off stump, put away the bad balls and just got to tip your hat really to Steve Smith and say that what he's put together here is probably going to be the best series of his entire career. Um, his record against England's pretty damn good in general but I think even he will be a bit surprised about just how good he's been. But yeah, from an English point of view, it's disappointing that we haven't had someone who's stepped up to the mark and had that real big series. I mean, you look at Root in particular, his conversion rate recently from getting 50s to 100 is just very poor, really. It's very poor, and it's it's a worrying sign for us, to be honest. You know, you can throw some questions in there about whether the captaincy is starting to weigh on his form and that kind of stuff. But when, I won't say your opposite number, because obviously Steve Smith's not captain for now, but when the most important player in the team is literally always converting 50s into 100s and big 100s as well, that can be the difference between the two sides, and that's exactly how it's proven to be. But, um, yeah, we've caught Steve Smith, what feels like, in his prime. It's amazing what he's done, isn't it? He's he's so far ahead of any other batsman in this series. You you forget that he missed a test match, and he he missed one-and-a-half test matches because he got smacked on the head. Three matches... Five innings, 671 runs, high score of 211, averaging 134.2. Are you still booing him, Ollie? Um, yes, I am. 
Well, I'm, there's a difference. I'm not booing him because he's, he's, his ability is not there. You know what I mean? It, it's more booing out of almost kind of fear and, and respect for, for what he's done. But obviously, on the flip side of that, you're not gonna you're gonna try and make conditions as hostile as possible for the for the opposing team and it's English fans. You know they they don't forget the, the stuff that's happened in the in the past. And quite frankly, he is still a cheat, even though he's back in the game now. He did what he did. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. He's answered all of those boos, hasn't he? Let's face it. Um, when he walks out to bat and he, he's getting booed by the crowd, the best way to respond to that is 100 runs later to be lifting your bat to the crowd. You know, I guess that's that's the way that you answer those, and that's exactly what he's managed to do. Um, on on three occasions so far, so fair play to he's held that team together like glue really, and I'm I'm sure Tim Payne will be tremendously grateful that he's had a player like that at his disposal. Plenty of other teams have done exactly the same thing in the past, and he served his time, and I'm happy to see him back playing because, despite the fact that he's done for my team in this series, you can't help but think you're watching genius at work, Akash. It's just incredible what Stephen Smith has done. The the figures he's churned out in this series are. Almost second to none, I mean, there's really only that man, Don Bradman, that's ever done anything better than this. Exactly, you said, you said it uh, right. Only Don Bradman can do it better than him. And also, more importantly, I think the spotlight has, has been on Stephen Smith, but also it's the other innings that uh, has helped Australia in the past. It, it's not only Steve Smith who's played the innings, it's also the people who have just stayed on the stayed at the crease alongside Stephen Smith. That's what has been missing for England. It's not uh, a player not scoring 60s or 70s. There have been a lot of instances where players have scored 60s and 70s, but they have not had a partnership where they can just hold on and soak all the pressure. Even in the first innings, when they had the partnership, when Joe Root and, and Rory Burns were going well, again, that, that's when one of them failed and the other other fell next over. So, uh, I mean, the next few overs. So I think that's that's what I'm saying. So it should be at the both ends. It should not be just the one player playing for the for the team. It's, it should be also the players from the other side who should who should give him support so that uh, they can build uh, build on and score some runs? So I think that's where England lacked because they occupied one in, one one side of the crease well very well, but the other side the wickets were just losing. So that's not the right way to play Test match. I think that's where they have they have lacked, and that's where Australia have uh, capitalised. It's not just Steve Smith; it's also the innings from Manus or it is just innings from Tim Payne, just soaking all the pressure at one end so that. Stephen Smith can go and play his inning. The Cricket Badger podcast is brought to you in association with Cricket365.com. Their ethos, we love cricket and want to make the world love it as much as we do. Join them at Cricket365.com. Thank you very much to them for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. I was asked in the podcast that right at the start of this season, would you take the World Cup or would you take the Ashes, which was which was most important to me. And I answered the World Cup at the time for the reasons that World Cup comes around once every four years, that England had never won the World Cup before. And then I found myself, I was actually commentating on day five at Old Trafford, and I found myself actually thinking, do I actually really think that now? Do I actually really think that the World Cup was more important than the Ashes? And I'm not so sure, because it felt quite hard to take yesterday, watching the Ashes disappear, all the hopes that you have going into a, a full season of Ashes Test matches. I'm not quite so sure that's my answer anymore. Where, do you, where would you stand on that, Ollie? now? Where would you think, looking back over the summer, would you swap the, the World Cup for the Ashes in? 
no, I, I, I'm fully, fully stand by. I mean, I was asked something similar, to be fair, and my answer was definitely the World Cup, purely because we, like you say, it comes around every four years. We haven't won it yet. It was such an amazing opportunity on home soil. I think anybody going into that final against New Zealand at Lords would have said the same thing. I mean, obviously the Ashes is very, very important. It's perhaps slightly more for the for the cricket purists, of course. You look back at the 2005 series and you think the way that that managed to capture the imagination of the whole country, yes, you could argue otherwise. But I think that the World Cup, in terms of bringing people to cricket that, that perhaps wouldn't have watched it otherwise... I think, um, you know, I think that was the one to win. Perhaps I'm also a bit biased because I was there for the final. I don't really know. But that does feel like something that is kind of once in a lifetime. You know, a very, very special moment. Whereas I've seen England reclaim the ashes on home soil um, on two, once, what is it, three occasions. So I don't know. It just felt that little bit more special to win the World Cup. Of course, it would have been the perfect summer of cricket if we'd have managed to do both. Uh, but unfortunately that hasn't happened but yeah I'm, I'm sticking with it I think the World Cup was the more important one to win in terms of inspiring the next generation and you know as Akash rightly mentioned it's not as if this has been a bad series this has been a very good series um, with, with good competitive test matches that have gone right down to the wire and if you've got people who are staying tuned into the cricket because of what they've seen in the World Cup they'll think that test match cricket's exciting as well so it works both ways uh, but yeah I'm, I'm happy that we, we were lifting that World Cup trophy more than anything I think the thing that makes me kind of waver a little bit in terms of my priorities there is that I still think Red Bull cricket is the, the best form of the game. Test match cricket is where it's at. Test match cricket is what tests players more than any other format, as is, as is the county championship in the domestic circuit. And therefore, I want to see England taking test match cricket seriously. And I warned you at the start, I'm on my long run and it's marked out and I'm starting to pace in here because I think England have been massively guilty over the last four years of putting 95% of their focus on that white ball World Cup and have left the test match team very much as a kind of a sideline. Yeah, that we've got the fixtures, we'll pick the team, go out there and play your best. But all of our focus is on the, the white ball World Cup and... I think that's shown this summer. I think the World Cup team, brilliant. You can't knock it. Absolutely amazing what they achieved um, at Lords in, in lifting that title under Owen Morgan. But I think anybody criticising Joe Root's captaincy and various other things with this England team need to realise that that has not been the priority for the ECB. And I think the proof's in the pudding, Akash. England need to invest in this Test Match team. If we want to have a Test Match team that we are proud of in this nation, they need to give it priority and they need to really focus on it and, and, and nurture it. And I don't think that's been happening. I think they're giving it priority. Uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't say the most priority, but they, I think they're giving it priority. But I, the point about giving it a long run, that's, that's what they're not giving. They're not giving a few players the chance to prove themselves, the players who have, who have been playing excellently well in the domestic circuit to, to give them a chance, to give them one series to prove themselves. This is giving them one game or two games and then I am telling them to go and score runs. That's not how it works. I, I don't think it, it works that, that it doesn't work that way in any country. So I don't think uh, England selectors should, should uh, pick the teams on that basis. So they should give a long run to some players. They should also identify that uh, after one series, which are the players, who are the players who are not suitable for such format, who, who are not suitable to play in such conditions and they should make the changes so that it's not too late in the series that they realize that uh, there's going to be nothing. And also, 
the fact that they have, they have have a unchanged side i mean an unchanged squad for the last game i think it's a good decision and i'll tell you why oh, because i, I think it, no i'll i'll tell you why it's a good decision if if they do make changes and then the last game does not go to according to expectations then it's natural that people are going to point fingers and say that these people are not fit for cricket just one test match you cannot you cannot judge them so i think they should just stick stick with the same squad for this series and give the other players the next series to prove themselves so that it is not just one match where you can point and say that i don't think this guy is suitable for test cricket because that's that's how naturally people tend to do that is point and say that no he he didn't score runs in this game so i don't think he should be picked for the next series so in that way they have done something good but the choice of players i i, I certainly wouldn't agree i i would uh, certainly agree with your point of view saying that uh, jason roy or somebody is not fit for test cricket after having watched him for four test matches and still he's not being able to prove a point so i would agree on that but i wouldn't agree on just giving them one opportunity and then and then not only us but i, I mean i mean generally people criticizing players for not scoring in that one particular game so i think that's a good move but not a good move for uh, for selecting these players for this long I would have changed this team massively for the Oval. I would have changed it hugely. I think we've seen throughout this series that the selection has been misguided. We are picking white ball players to play test match cricket. And we said this phrase all the way through this podcast, but it's a different sport these days. To play white ball, hitting through the line. Jason Roy's look million dollars. He's one of the best players in the world in that format because he's technique suits that form of the game you can play with hard hands you can smash the ball you can score quick runs you can edge through the the slip court and there aren't any slips there and you can really make a name for yourself in white ball cricket and fair play to him he's done that and he's a world cup winner but you stick somebody like Jason Roy into the test side and he is a fish out of water i i did a a tweet the other day saying he looks like something that's written to the make a wish foundation so can i play an ashes series and he, he looks totally at sea and nobody seems to be able to see it nobody no, nobody who is in ed well ed smith and james taylor are the two england selectors they've been watching this series they sit there with their shades on in the posh seats watching every single ball of this series and they are still picking him and that is absolutely ridiculous because jason roy should not be anywhere near that test match team if you pick a test match player you pick him because he has scored a shed load of runs in the county championship he's batted for hours on end he scored loads of centuries and then you think right do you think his temperament do you think everything is suited for test match cricket and then you make your assessment jason roy for surrey has never batted more than two sessions of a county championship game it's not like he's 19 years old he's 29 years old and he has never batted more than two sessions of a game he has never batted more than three and a half hours in any format of cricket now that is not to me a test match player that to me is not somebody you you bring up at a selection meeting and say oh yeah he can open the innings for england despite the fact that he's never really done it for surrey that is just a ridiculous selection and ed smith's taken a lot of a lot of plaudits for a couple of decisions that he made very early on in his tenure and he's obviously picked a team that has won the cricket world cup so I'm not going to knock him for that but they've put all of their emphasis on white ball cricket then they see a couple of players in the white ball game play very well and think oh yeah we'll chuck him over into the test team that'll that'll be okay it's not okay you pick your red ball players ollie because of their performances in red ball cricket it's it's just common sense yeah it is and i suppose we are kind of saying this with the benefit of hindsight obviously obviously having seen the disastrous series that jason roy's had i was saying that at the start of these podcasts i was saying that before the first test match 
that Jason Roy shouldn't be picked for this, this test match team. And I'm not taking any, any satisfaction in, in saying, yeah, I was right. But if it's obvious to me, then surely somebody that's as intelligent as Ed Smith, it should be obvious to him. I think it was obviously a big risk. I think that's one thing that they probably will acknowledge looking back on it. Um, but it was a risk that at the time, uh, before the series, and even sort of after the first test, it was a risk that I could almost kind of understand why they were doing it. Because, you know, as I've said on this podcast a few times before, the route that we'd gone down in the past in terms of picking openers that had played well in the county championship and thinking that they could make that step up to test match cricket, it didn't work. You know, that's the reason that we were still searching for a partner for, for Rory Burns, essentially. Uh, and even Rory Burns' you know, position in the lineup has only become sort of firm towards the back end of this series. Why was Rory Burns picked? Because he'd scored thousands of runs for Surrey over a number of years in Test Match cricket. And Rory Burns didn't take to Test Match cricket immediately. It's taken him a while. But there is evidence for Rory Burns that he has a setback, he goes away, he thinks about his cricket, he comes back, he learns from it, and he puts it into action. And Rory Burns now, he's not cemented in by any means, but he's starting to look like he's got a test match career in front of him. But they picked him initially because he played and scored runs in county championship cricket. There is also plenty of evidence of players that we've picked under the same kind of pretense that haven't gone on and done well. I mean, you look at the likes of Compton who came in, and was you know was absolutely tearing it up in the county championship. Uh, even going a bit further back, you look at Carberry, Michael Carberry, and I don't know. It, it, it works both ways, you know. Thankfully, Burns has now got himself into a position where he is looking like he can be can be the answer for at least the medium term. Uh, but in, going back to the selection of Jason Roy, I think that was picking a player who plays that position, albeit in a different form of the game. And it was a risk because obviously he's going to go aggressively at the ball. As you said earlier in this in this podcast, it. One of those where in white ball cricket, if you flash hard at the ball, it probably goes through the slips for four, whereas in test match cricket, as he's found out, it, it flies straight to second or third slip. The, the whole idea of going down a different route and, and trying to, to, to pluck someone out from, from an area that we haven't really gone down before, somebody who's playing with confidence in white ball cricket, opening for, obviously, the England ODI team that have just gone and won a World Cup, and he had a very good tournament in that. I could kind of see the reasoning behind taking that chance and, and, and sort of taking a risk and throwing him in there. But once it failed after the first two tests, that's maybe when you pull the plug on it, you know, and it's perhaps come a little bit too late. But then it becomes a question of, do you throw someone inexperienced in there like Sibley? Because obviously he's performing well on the county championship circuit at the moment, opening for Warwickshire. Uh, but if you throw him in there, it's completely different because he's facing the likes of um, Hazelwood Cummins, he would have faced Stark in this test. And those are completely different to the bowlers that you're going to face in county championship cricket. Or then maybe you move Denley back up to open, but you know he, he's kind of salvaged himself a little bit with, a, with 250s in his last two innings. But ultimately, it's like... <laughs> Do we see him as a long-term answer? No, because he's, what, is he 33, something like that? It's just one of those where I think we, we kept trying to put round pegs into a square hole and hoping that it, it might fit eventually. It hasn't happened. We go back to the drawing board, and we need to get this right. And this is where I agree that I would have made wholesale changes for that final, you know, the squad for the final test, because we need to find a formula that works ahead of what's a pretty important summer, you know. OK, the Ashes is the the means to the end of this series but we're in a world test championship at the end of the day as well so we need to get as many points on the board in that as we can and the best way to do that is to go and win series this this winter so 
yeah, we've come to it once again with more questions than answers at the end of the series, which is uh, which is definitely worrying. But in terms of the Roy thing, I think that's just one of a number of, of experiments that were made that hasn't worked out. And ultimately, all you can do is point the finger at the selectors. I think Ed Smith is a very intelligent guy. He, anybody who listened to him on Test Match Special or read his excellent books would understand that he's a very intelligent guy that thinks about it a lot. But I think he, I think he thinks about it too much. I think he's almost trying to rewrite the books and, and, and trying to make a name for himself by being this kind of maverick genius who has these left field incredible ideas. Ultimately, cricket's a very simple game. White ball cricket, you smack it. Red ball cricket, you need a lot more determination, technique and stamina and, con- and concentration. And he doesn't seem to get it. And I think Ed Smith has a lot to answer for for this Ashes series. I think James Taylor is far too close to the side. A lot of the side are his friends. Um, he played with them. And I think to be a selector, you need to have a little bit of distance. Obviously, you need to have a relationship with people you're selecting. But to have kind of shared rooms and shared hotels and shared dressing rooms with people might be a little bit too close, I think, from James Taylor's point of view. And I think, you know, you mentioned Compton there. You mentioned Carberry there. Compton, they'd kill for him now. They would absolutely kill for Nick Compton at the top of the order in this England test side because he was a guy that could bat for a long time. You know, it might not have been pretty. It might not have been something that made the show reels at the end of the series, but he would have ground it out. He'd have seen off the shine of the new ball and he would have dug in there and he would have, uh, he'd have contributed to a, to a better score than England have been getting. Carberry was given five, six test matches in Australia against um, Mitchell Johnson bowling at his pomp. Showed a lot of grit and determination doing that and a lot of bravery doing that and then discarded at the end of that series because it was a disappointing series. You need to give people more time to adapt to test cricket and scoring runs and opening the innings is something that which is a skill and it is a discipline. And you don't ask Pavarotti to sing rap. You don't ask Kylie to go and sing grunge. You, you don't put Lionel Messi in goal and expect him to keep out the best strikers. It's the same sport, but it's a totally different skill and it's a totally different job within a side. And the England selectors should be people that understand that and they are obviously not. Yeah, I think one of the best sort of examples in recent-ish memory for me, and I'm saying this perhaps from a slightly biased point of view being a Yorkshire fan, is how Adam Live was mistreated. Obviously, he'd had an absolutely outstanding season helping Yorkshire win the title. I think this was back in 2013. Can't remember how many. He definitely racked up over a 1,000 runs in the county championship, earned a spot on tour to the West Indies where we played two tests before we headed out for the Ashes. And for whatever reason, instead of playing him on flat tracks in the West Indies and getting him a bit of test match experience before going to the Ashes, if they saw him as the answer to, to the problem for that Ashes series... They didn't. They had him carrying drinks for two games. And then they threw him into open in the ashes. So that, for me, is, is like a perfect example of someone there who could have been the answer for the medium to long term. But for, for one reason or another, you know, they, they've decided to basically completely misuse him. And obviously, that's a while ago now. We're under a different regime. But it's the same kind of... It feels like the same kind of mistakes are being made in terms of cycles, in terms of the cycles that you go in with Test Match Cricket. I mean, surely... The, the priority for England in terms of test matches and the preparation should be completely separate from white ball cricket. Let's be clear on that. Of course, we, we, we want to be competitive in all forms of the game, but it should be for us the priority to peak during the Ashes series. It's as simple as that because that's our, that's our bread and butter. That's our pride and joy. We want to make sure that we win that series every time. And for whatever reason, we found ourselves 
with so much uncertainty going into this series that you start to question what the previous two years of planning were all about. There hasn't been any planning. I mean, it doesn't look like there's been any planning. I mean, going across to Akash, Australia, they have planned this this Ashes series for the last three years. They've they've come out of Sandpaper Gate and they've tried to kind of bind that testing together to, to get it back to the former glories. And they, ahead of this series, they had an A team here they were playing plenty of games um, with all of their different players at their disposal in English conditions. They put a number of their players into English counties and obviously got them experience of playing and scoring runs in the county championship ahead of the Ashes series. They actually thought about every single part of this series, even to the extent of, I think, all five test matches. They pretty much knew, ideally, injuries permitting, which teams would be playing, which players would be playing, in the different test matches, they've rotated their bowlers. They've done that with cleverness for conditions and also to try and rest bowlers as well. Australia, I think, can take a lot of pats on the back from the way they've planned this Ashes series because they've actually thought it through. England had their eyes completely on the World Cup. Oh, the Ashes is going to come. That will look after itself. Australia, I think, can take a lot of credit, Ashkash, for how they planned and how they implemented those plans. Certainly true, and uh, more so, I think uh, Justin Langer deserves all the credits because we don't talk much about Justin Langer and what he does to the Australian team, but he is immense to the Australian team. He studies everything in finer details and minuscule, and he can he can point at uh, things and say that this is where the team is lacking, and all the players would agree on it. I think that's how a coach should be. Uh, he should be exper- he should not be just experienced on paper, but he should also be experienced practically. He should have played so much games and then he should know the conditions in and out. And uh, that's one one thing that Australia, that's why I think Australia were good in this series because Justin Langer studied every detail. Even when when uh, he was asked about what he thinks about Jofra Arce, he said that Jofra Arce is playing test for the first time. So I think he'll, he'll have an impact early on, but it's what we do to wear him out and and to reduce his impact, which which which, which I think was good because he he's not only critical about about his team, but also he said that if he if he played him out, and then I, I don't think he'll get a chance to uh, take any wickets. So for a coach to say that it not only gives confidence to the team, but also it 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 respects the opposition by saying that okay you have good players, but I think we are better on 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 the given day. So so Justin Langer and Ricky Ponting's influence on the team has been huge. More so, I think uh, they've also had their issues with the openers. They've had as, as many as five openers in the squad, and they've tried to switch and change. And they could not switch and change David Warner. But uh, if David Warner was not was not David Warner, they, I think they would they would have swapped him for for a Joey Burns or for anybody on on the, on the paper. So I think that's one decision that they were handicapped to. But uh, apart from that, they have taken good decisions. And even the inclusion of Manas has been because Steve Smith went concussed. Otherwise, I don't think uh, Manus would have featured in this side. So all of it came good to the Australian side uh, during the Ashes, but I don't think they were at the best too. Discover one of the most beautiful lifestyle resorts in the Caribbean at the Accra Beach Hotel and Spa. Located on the south coast of Barbados, this beachfront property offers 224 rooms, Sparkling pools, four restaurants, three bars, an on-site spa, event and conferencing facilities, and a welcoming team providing unparalleled relaxation to make your stay a memorable one. What are you waiting for? 
Book your reservation at this award-winning hotel today and experience the Caribbean dream. I think there's a, there's a number of things that come from England squad announcement today that they've kept the same squad ahead of the Oval. I think it's ridiculous. This is a chance for England in Test match cricket to do what they did with the World Cup. They've actually say, right, let's have a look over the next two, four years and let's plan ahead. Let's bring some fresh blood into this. Let's bring some red ball players into this side and let's show we trust them. Let's give them a run in this team. Let's pick red ball batsmen like Dom Sibley has been mentioned throughout this series, scored runs for, for Warwickshire. He's obviously a guy that knows his role at the top of the order in red ball cricket and knows how to bat long. That's what England are crying out for. So let's use this as an opportunity to draw a line in the sand and look ahead. You go through the England squad. Joe Root, fine. He's a, he's a world-class player. He stays in the side. Joffre Archer, burst onto the international scene in both white ball and red ball cricket and has made an impact. He stays in that side. Stuart Broad, he's bowled as well as I've seen him bowl for a long time in this series. There's rumours that he might retire at the end of this summer, but if he doesn't, he stays in this England side. Rory Burns, he's done enough for inclusion in the future as well. But apart from that, and Ben Stokes as well, of, of course, and Chris Wokes, of course, but apart from that, the rest of them... What, what have they done to actually stake a, a claim for future selection? This is a chance to bring in a load of new players on the basis that they've done well for their counties and say, right, we trust you. We're not going to just bring you in for five test matches. We're not going to just bring you in for ten matches. We're going to actually look at this as a two-year, four-year plan, and we're going to build a test side to play proper red ball cricket. And they're not doing that. That it's, I think this fifth test selection is actually almost cowardly. It's almost like saying we don't want to make a decision. We don't want to say that we're wrong. We're just going to go with the same old, same old. We'll throw poor old Jason Roy under the bus because although I'm critical of him, I've got nothing against Jason Roy. He's a fantastic white ball player. I think they've been really bad to Jason Roy in this series by exposing him against the red ball. It's, it's almost cruel what they've done to Jason Roy this summer. And to pick him again is just bonkers. But Jason Roy is just one of many. Joe Denley, 33, he started to show signs that he's, he can score a few runs, but I've never felt comfortable watching him play. Jack Leach, he's a cult hero. He's got one not out, but that's not enough to sustain a test career. His spin bowling has been, actually, I think, quite poor during this series. You look at Joss Butler, he's played 36 test matches now. He scored one century. How many other players have had that sustained level selection in a test team 36 test matches one century they're playing him as a specialist batsman that is not good enough and johnny bairstow i love johnny bairstow i'm a yorkshire fan but johnny bairstow's stats over the last 18 months have been quite woeful in test match cricket i would possibly keep picking him because i think overall the overall package you get from johnny bairstow is possibly better than some of the other keeper options but i can see why people are calling his place into question too Ollie, surely this is a chance for the selectors and for England, for Team England, with a new coach around the corner, to actually put a line in the sand and say, right, let's plan ahead properly. It should have been. It should have been. Um, I agree with you. I think it was uh, obviously the decision to, to name an un, unchanged squad for me was one that sort of, I don't know, it, it stunk a bit of fear as if, like, you know, we. We thought that by making mass changes going into that test, we might actually lose again and lose the Series 3-1. And how badly would that reflect in comparison to 
you know, if we were to field the full team and hope that we catch them off guard and somehow draw this series 2-2. But I, I agree. Once again, you've got to ask questions of, of the planning in terms of what we're trying to do with this team. Who do they actually view as the core of players that we're going to put, you know, in their spot, in the lineup and say, right, you're staying there. And then, you you know, you put the rocks in and then you, you fill, the, fill the sand around it or whatever the, the analogy is. And there are players that are knocking on the door, quite frankly, who you think at this point can't actually do any worse. I think Sibley is one of those, although I've expressed concerns about throwing him in there. I think you've got, you know, for this fifth test with the series gone in, in our, you know, in terms of regaining the Ashes, the series is gone. This would have been a perfect opportunity to put him in against some world-class bowling uh, and getting some experience in test matches. You look at players that, that, that are down the order. I mean, obviously, as you say, Stokes stays. Bairstow stays for me because he's he's a better keeper than Folks, and I think he's marginally better batsman as well. We perhaps haven't seen that in this series, Folk, but you, Folks you is a better with him. You think Folks? Folks yeah, is I, Folks is definitely yeah, a better keeper. But look at looking at Ben Folks. I think Ben Folks is the perfect example of somebody whose reputation has gone stratospheric from not playing. You look at him for Surrey this year, he's averaging 27 with the bat. I know he averages 40 in Test Match cricket over five Test Matches, but his first two Test Matches, he burst onto onto the scene, scored runs, and then these last three Test Matches, he didn't get that many. And that average of 40, if you're asking me, if you were to pick Ben Folks over the next 10 years as your wicketkeeper batsman for England, I think he'd struggle to average 20 in Test cricket. And I I agree, I think Johnny Bairstow is the best option. He's been out of form, no doubt about it, but... I think he's he's worth persevering with. But he's quite poor, Ollie, isn't it? You come to an end of an Ashy series, the biggest series England play in Test Match cricket, and we can think of four, five, six people who we would cement into a squad going forward. And there's doubt about everybody else. You don't come yeah, out of a series and, and say it's been a good series if that is the case. And it's all about the urn, isn't it? The series is gone now. The urn is what matters. It's about holding that urn aloft at the Oval. And that is going to be in the hands of Tim Payne. It doesn't matter if this is 3-1 to me. It doesn't matter if it's 2-2. It doesn't matter what the final score is in this test series. Now is the time to actually take some action. It is. Yeah, absolutely is. Um, as I mentioned before, I think the, the whole objective of English test cricket as a whole is to make sure that you peak and you make sure that you have everything in place every time an Ashes series comes round. That's what your planning should be all about. Um, with no disrespect to the other nations that we play, that's the one that England fans care most about. That's the one that we most want to win. And... Here we are with, with more questions than answers towards the end of the series, which isn't good. But it's painful for it to have happened during this series because it would have capped off a perfect summer of cricket if we'd have regained the urn. But now we've got to surely use the remaining time wisely and try and think ahead to obviously the tours that we've got coming up this winter and obviously into next year. You know, we've got a tricky trip to New Zealand. We've got um, South Africa over Christmas. And those are not going to be easy. I mean, Australia went to South Africa and got stuffed 3-1. So, you know, I'm... I'm a little bit worried about the, the direction of the team overall. And then, obviously, as, we, as we've said, with us naming this unchanged team, what are we trying to gain from it? What, what's the big idea here? You know, It just says to me that they're happy to kind of coast through to the end of the series and then look at things. It's once again being reactive rather than proactive. And the best teams are proactive. They make the difficult decisions when they, when they have to do. As you said, there are potentially only five or six players that keep their spot 
in this team for me. I mean, you said Walks is one of them, but I honestly don't know if that's the. I, I don't know if that's even a, a nailed on guarantee. Yes, he, he has these spells where he bowls well, but over the course of the series, he hasn't bowled well. Perhaps you know his body's been through a lot this summer, as you understand with the World Cup and stuff. But there are times when he's looked completely ineffectual. The same with Ben Stokes, and obviously he's now apparently not going to bowl in the in the fifth test and um, would be used as a specialist batsman in that. So you know the, we just appear to be so inferior to to Australia in, in each department. I mean, you say that bowling attack-wise, they stack up fairly similarly. I'm not sure about that. I think I feel a lot more threat from their first and second change bowlers and also the fact that they have Nathan Lyons to call upon when we don't have anybody anywhere near as good as that to call upon. It just makes me feel like we've actually taken steps backwards over the last month or so. And and that's the painful thing about it all, really. You know, we had, we've had our moments, obviously, the Headingley, Heading the test is something that people won't forget for a very long time. But here we are. It just, it just feels like um, we've got we've got half a team in place at the moment, and we need to sort it out pretty quickly because this winter is not going to be an easy one. I'd include Sam Curran in the ones going forward as well because he's done nothing wrong because they haven't picked him. But I think mm-hmm. just to round off the discussion on the selection, Ed Smith, James Taylor, what is your job? Is your job to sit in the sunshine with your shades on and to look pristine in in, in your suits, or is your job to actually select the best team? for England in Test Match Cricket, because if it's the second, you're not doing it right, and you need to mm. sort yourselves out, because this fifth Test Match team is a joke. It's been a bad series for England, and you're picking the wrong players. Two things to finish off our discussion, our review of the fourth Test Match, and the overall opinions, really. Joe Root coming under scrutiny for captain. Geoffrey Boycott has done a piece in the Telegraph to say he doesn't think Joe Root's got the instinctive kind of feel for being a captain of a country and he would like to see him returning to the ranks and and scoring runs are you of that opinion Akash can you see captaincy material in Joe Root do you think he's the future captain for England or do you think they'd be better off looking somewhere else there there are not many choices in this English side which you can tell that uh, the captaincy material has probably been Stokes but apart from that I don't think there are many captain materials in the side, so I think they should stick with Joe Root because he's still the best batsman. So probably give him a, give him one or two more series, and then and then with the new coach, I think things might change. You say he's the best batsman, and he is. Is that reason to make him captain? Now I was talking to a friend of mine this morning, and he said it smacks of this kind of picking your best player to be captain. It smacks of kind of schoolyard. You know, you're the two best players. You pick the teams. There's an argument, isn't there, to just pick the best tactical brain, to pick the guy that's actually going to be the best in the dressing room at uh, raising morale and, and rallying his troops and making the right decisions out there on the pitch. The best player doesn't necessarily always make the best captain, does he, Akash? The thing that I think of why I, uh, the best player should be made the captain is because he... He then plays all the test matches, so I think a captain has to play all the test matches because he's the best player. So that's in, I, I'm thinking in that way. So I think uh, if the best batsman is made the captain, then he just continues what on what he does. So he's an automatic choice. So in that way. But apart from that, if you if you think as a cricketing brain in I, in this test side, I think probably Ben Stokes would be the other one which I think would be captaincy material, but would it be too much to ask of him because he has to not only bat, bowl, but also captain. So it, it just has an extra pressure on him. So I don't think I would put that pressure on Ben Stokes because he's he's had it so much in the last one or two years. So I don't want to add more pressure on him. So I would just go on with Joe Root because he, he likes the challenge. And I think with the new management and with the new coach and with the new team, I think he can do well. I'd, I'd agree with that. And I think Ben Stokes would be the wrong choice for the reasons you said. 
just then the overload, the overwork, the you know, he's your ideal vice captain. You, you, you clarion cry in the dressing room, and and the guy that is popular with the rest of his teammates. And they also think the ECB probably will view his disciplinary record over the last few years as being a, a reason not to give it to him as well. You look down the rest of that squad, and on the basis that we've ruled quite a few out, Ollie in terms of their longevity in this side. Only really Stuart Broad or Jimmy Anderson would be potentials other than Stokes to lead the team. As I said, Stuart Broad, big rumours that he's actually going to retire from the test team at the end of this summer. Jimmy Anderson's fitness, I think, you know, the fact that he, he can't stay on the field for that long would probably rule him out of the equation. So it really does just leave Joe, Joe Root, doesn't it? You know, are there any other options? No, no, there aren't any other options. It really is as simple as that. Um, I think Broad and, and Anderson, as you mentioned, perhaps candidates for their experience, but only that, I think they'd actually be pretty terrible captains. You know, you look at Broad's reviewing, for instance, um, it, it's he's a very, very impulsive kind of character. Stokes, again, I, I just don't think that he would have the temperament, temperament for it. You know, he's kind of the first one that you see sulking when things aren't going his way. Not sulking necessarily, but, you know, showing anger, showing frustration, you know, snatching his cap back off the umpire and that kind of thing. It's not what you really want to see from the captain. I also think that, you know, Joe Root, I don't think he's a terrible captain at all. I think he's been a little bit victim of circumstance in this series. I don't think everything's been in place for him, really, uh, because of the powers that be above him to succeed in this series. And I think that he'll be as frustrated as anyone about that. Yes, his performance uh, out in the middle hasn't hasn't been setting an example, let's say, but there's still a world-class batsman in there somewhere and he will refine his form. You know, he's 28 years old. He's got 10 years plus of, of red ball experience, both scoring stacks of runs in the county championship and then obviously breaking into the test team. He captained the England Lions before he made his step up to the senior side. And obviously he's, he's been captain in England for a few years now as well. So he's, he's still the right choice moving forward. And I back him to be fighting harder than anybody to turn around what's been a poor series from us. He's also going to be given that time because there are no genuine genuine contenders to take it from him. It's as simple as that, really. But yeah, he, he still gets my full backing without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, I noticed that during the during the old Trafford test when Leach got Steve Smith out and obviously it was, he was called back because it was a no ball, Root was very, very vocal. You know, he got the team together in a huddle and basically just said, look, we get him out again, lads. It didn't end up happening. But, you know, that's what you want to see from your captain. You want, you want to see him being the motivational force out there on the field and he, he didn't shut up for the next sort of 20 minutes, you know, telling everyone to to get behind the bowler and that kind of stuff. That's what you want to see. All you, all you can ask for when perhaps things aren't going your way and, you, and you've seen a masterful innings from one player at the crease, you just need to, you need to keep saying, seeing that from your captain, you know, spurring on the troops and that kind of stuff. In terms of the, the more specific stuff, the mistake that he's perhaps made during this series, not even with regards to reviews, but just in terms of when games have been getting away from us and he perhaps hasn't acted quick enough to change fields, to change bowlers, or perhaps he's put wrong bowlers on at the wrong moment. That's all open for debate. But I think Joe Root's the kind of player uh, and the kind of captain who will learn more from a series defeat or, you know, we, we might end up drawing. But, uh, you know, a series disappointment like this, then he will one that we win. So, so just got to hope that he carries those lessons over into a pretty important next few months for us. Couldn't put it back any better than that myself, Ollie. I think that was uh, perfectly put. I think sometimes captains, you, you look back at great captains, they tend to have a team full of great players. You know, if you're Ricky Ponting, captain in that Australian side, and you're in a bit of trouble. Shane, you take one end. Glenn, you take the other. Let's take a load of wickets. Sometimes captaincy, when you've got fantastic players at your disposal, is, is pretty decent and pretty easy. I think Joe Root hasn't got that luxury. I think England have 
prioritise the white ball. I would imagine, I don't know this, but behind the scenes, I'd imagine Owen Morgan has had a lot more support from the ECB in the run-up to the World Cup than Joe Root has ever had in the run-up to this Ashes series. And I think Joe Root is the right man to take England forward. Not just because there aren't any other options, but because I think there are signs that he is getting better at being a captain. I don't think he's a perfect captain. I think if we had a Mike Brearley in county cricket, then, yeah, fine. But we haven't. And I think for now, Joe Root is the man to take England forward. Hi, my name is Brian Lara, and you're listening to the Cricket Batcher podcast. One final thing, just before we get on to our predictions for the fifth test, is the coach for England in the future. I've seen a lot of discussion about that. Michael Vaughan was being suggested yesterday in, in terms of test cricket. Talking to the same friend this morning. He was very much of the opinion that Paul Collingwood should take the role across both forms because he obviously played white ball and red ball with some distinction for England in the past. One final thing to to finish with, not necessarily on who should get the role, but should it be split now, Akash? You've got test cricket. I mean, I've referred to them through these podcasts as being different sports. They are so varied and so different in their tactics and, and their demands, white ball and red ball. It does make sense, doesn't it, to have a white ball coach and a red ball coach now to take England forward? It does, actually, in, in, in the in the scenario that we are in now. So I think uh, it should be divided because I'll tell you the reasons why it should be divided because then the coach exactly knows who are the players that he needs to pick for the side and he can just concentrate on one end instead of instead of having too much on, on his plate and then he has to divide into tests, into ODIs and T20s. So I think... Just put the right person in the right uh, place and then it would lead to success. So two coaches would do the job and one coach has to, I mean, at least the test coach has to know the domestic cricket inside out so that so that he can pick the right players. Unlike what uh, Trevor did, somebody, as you suggested, probably Michael Vaughan or Paul Collingwood could step up. And in the sense that they know the English setup, they know England cricket, they also know the domestic cricket very well. They follow it very well. So I think... They would be perfect suitors for for the for the job. So uh, it's it's a decision that they have to take, and uh, probably they should uh, have two coaches for two separate formats. I'd be quite happy with uh, Michael Vaughan as test test uh, coach and Paul Collingwood as the one day man. Both of them know Ashley Giles very well as well. So yeah, you know, it just seems to fit that for me. Um, Terry Bayliss has had a massive impact on the white ball arena, but I think his test match teams have been subpar. He may have had uh, the urge to, to look more at the World Cup than the, the Ashes as well um, from his point of view. But Ollie, they need to make a decision on this. They need to make it quite quickly. And for me, it has to be a white ball and a red ball. They have two different coaches. I know Ashley Giles has said in the past it's going to be one, but I felt for Trevor Bayliss at times. He hardly gets any days off. You know, when there's not a white ball game, there's a red ball game, or they're on tour, or or they're travelling to somewhere else. You know, you, you've got to treat these guys as being good coaches, but you also got to treat them as being human beings and give them a bit of a work-life balance as well, haven't you? Yeah, you do. Uh, I think you're right in what you say. I think it, it, it's been such an important summer, and obviously um, the media hype and everything that comes with that, it, it, it does it does definitely feed into it. But it's very, very hard to focus all of your, your time and attention across two formats and achieve exactly the results that you want. It, it's just, it's too difficult, really. It's, it is too much of a workload. And yes, I think for, for Bayless, the, 
the priority will definitely have been to win that World Cup trophy and then, then to see what kind of comes afterwards in the ashes. But I do, I, I feel for the bloke. I feel for the bloke. I honestly don't think that anything really this summer has been an absolute disaster. I mean, I know we've just spent a, a long time ripping apart the test team in terms of the preparation and stuff. But, you know, it comes down to selection. Um, it comes down to individuals not performing as well and that kind of thing. And now here we are talking about how the best thing to do is to split the responsibilities. For some reason, I don't like the idea of, of Michael Vaughan stepping into that role for the test side. I don't know why. He just strikes me as somebody who is a bit too irrational based on his punditry and, and the things that he says about who needs to get out of the team and, and who shouldn't be given another chance, who should be brought in. I don't know if, if he's right for that yet, but um, if it were to be Collingwood for the one-day side and Vaughan for the for the test side, then it would be kind of like coming full circle from the 2005 series. So that would be that would be one small positive from it. But... Um, yeah, I do think it is about time we split the responsibilities. It's the way that you sort of ensure that you're optimising, you know, and, you, and you, you're making the most out of your resources on both sides. Because as you've said, James, on several times in this uh, podcast, you know, the white ball and the red ball are almost becoming two completely different sports now at this point. So it's almost impossible to focus everything onto both formats and, and get, you know, 100% of the results that you want to get. So I think the sooner we split it, the better, because I keep saying there's, there's some important series coming up. We're in, a, we're in a World Test Championship and that's still the, the overall goal that we've got to aim for. So the sooner that we get some kind of framework, framework in place at the top, then it will, it will filter down and we'll start to see what they want to do with the side itself moving forward and the, and the coaching staff that they want to get in place. As I said before, it feels a bit like a post-mortem sort of looking at everything that needs to be cleared out and, and a slate that needs to be wiped clean and we need to basically start again. But yeah, I suppose that's what's happened. That's what happens when you have a disappointing series like this. Yeah, for me, it has to be two coaches. There's, there's obviously got to be some crossover. They've got to get on with each other. They've got to work together. They've got to support each other and potentially go on each other's tours at times to, to help each other out. But the red ball and the white ball is so distinct. It is so different. It just makes sense, I think, to split it and to ease the workload, ease the burden on just one person. It just uh, seems to be the right way forward for me going ahead. Are you looking to get your business in front of the cricket world? Join forces with the fastest growing cricket podcast on the web, the Cricket Budget Podcast, brought to you in association with your business. Take an advert on the pod or become the headline sponsor. Contact us, cricketbadget, at hotmail.com for some very reasonable prices and joining the fun as the Cricket Budget Podcast continues to go from strength to strength. Let's have a look ahead. Series betting with Paddy Power has Australia 2-5 to five to win this series. And the draw, that obviously means England winning at the Oval, is 17-10. to 10. As always, we have our 10 units to stake on the outrights. Who is going to win the Test match? And then we have 10 units to stake on Paddy Power's many other markets as we have our competition going through this series. Obviously, after the fifth Test match, we will be back with our series review. We've pretty much reviewed it in this one um, for, for much of it. But uh, we will come back with our series review and our winners, or our winner, rather, of the competition between the three of us for our predictions throughout this series. England are 6-4 to four ahead of the fifth Test match. 11-2 to two for the draw. Australia are 10 to 11. The weather forecast looks quite decent. It should be five sunny days or five sunny days or sunny you can get at this time in September. This season has been a rather long one. We'll start with you, Akash. How do you see this fifth test match going? Where are your 10 units going to go to? 
uh, my 10 units are going to go with Australia. And I think because they've already shown what uh, they are capable of doing and then they're just going to do it better this time. Ollie, uh, my 10 units are going on the draw. The Oval has a reputation for being a batter's paradise. I think it could be a, I hope it could be a, you know, 400 plays, 500 kind of first innings game and that will, will get rid of any chances of a result. Perhaps doesn't help things, you know, for us in the long term, but it would be nice to see a few of our uh, top order play themselves into form. And, you know, I don't think the Oval groundsman will be under any instructions to prepare a, to prepare a green top, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with a draw. It's quite a good price at 11 to 2 as well. We're all going to go with something different then, because I'm going to go with England to win the, the fifth test match. Totally against what I've said throughout the rest of this podcast, but England do have a habit of, uh, well, certainly not losing two successive test matches in England. And I think that they will probably paper over the cracks even more by winning the fifth test match. So six to four for me, for my 10 units. It's that Badger style. Let's have a look inside the markets then. Our other 10 units for the oval test match. Ollie, we'll start with you. How are you going to invest your 10? You can obviously split them across a number of different ones if you want to. This is always a, a difficult one. I'm going to go with five units, so split them on the man of the match. And five are going to go on Steve Smith at four to one. Obviously, he's low odds for a reason, but I just think that he's in that kind of form when he could uh, essentially you know, score another shed load of runs in this test. Don't know why. He's 20 to 1. I kind of like it. So I'm going to go with Jason Roy just because who cares? It's the last five units that I'll spend in this series. And who knows? <laughs> it's his own ground. It's his own ground. He might just chip in with two scores. Um, so, yeah, that's more of a punt than, a, than a, an educated guess. But, yeah, Jason Roy. I am more than happy for you to waste five of your units on Jason Roy. <laughs> Ollie, are you going to go go into the man of the match markets as well and I'm going to go with all of my 10 on Joe Root I think Joe Root will bounce back I think Joe Root's made of stern stuff I think Joe Root's got will go into this test match with his teeth gritted feeling he has something to prove on a personal captaincy team level and I think Joe Root at 8-1 to one is a, a decent price in this test match to be the man of the match at the Oval Akash, we'll finish with you, our last prediction of this series. My first five units would go for Steve Smith becoming the man of the match. Well, because it's evident that he, he is the man of the series. So I think he's he's the go-to man for this one as well. And the second one would, would, would be for a different market, would be for the fall of first wicket for, the, uh, for Team A. And that would be under 21 overs. So it would be under at 5-6. to six. So That's England's first wicket to fall inside the first 21 overs for you to finish off the predictions for this week. It's that Badger style. Guys, thank you very much for joining me again. Thank you, thank very you much. James. And uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us too. Thank you to Cricket365 and to Paddy Power as well for their support of this podcast. Hope you're enjoying it as we go through this Ashes series. We've got the fifth test match to come at the Oval and uh, we'll be back after the fifth test match has finished with our review of this Ashes summer. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.